505 years ago, years ago tomorrow, tomorrow on October, on October 31st, 1517, 17, Martin, Martin Luther hammered on the door, on the door of, the church, of the church in Wittenberg, 95 theses. The issue, the issue that he was that complaining he was about, about, issue that he was talking about, about, is the, is the, the church, the church selling indulgences. indulgences. Uh, uh, certificates from the church to people saying, hey, people that you love that are predatory get out a little bit sooner because you paid for these. And the issue wasn't this thing. So it was a distortion of the gospel. Luther was upset with this. It is distortion of the gospel. But also, it was building out of money for distortion of the gospel. So it was a justice issue. And this, and this money that was being used was being used to be built by the Pope, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Luther didn't nail his 95 theses to break, to break away, away from the church, from the church or, the faith, or the faith, but to hold the church accountable to God's word. To hold the church accountable to the gospel and the rule of faith. He nailed these theses on the door as an invitation for public Debate because that's actually what you do. And that time, and that time, time is that when you want to publicly debate something, nail, nail it to the door and say, hey, this is my, this complaint. Is my complaint. These are my these issues. Are my issues. Let's, Let's debate say. these things. The material, the material cause for the reformation, the issue that set it off, was the idea that justification was not by grace. That was something else that you can buy this grace. But the issue for Luther was that justification was by grace through faith. And here's what by grace alone through faith alone is that God saves you and only God saves you. You have no heart in that. The way that it's expressed that you are saved by God is through your faith in Him. But God saves you. Your faith doesn't save you. God saves you. We express that gratitude and our love through God, through faith. But that wasn't the formal cause, right? That was distortion of the gospel. The, the formal cause of the Reformation was the issue of authority. Does the church have authority over Scripture and the rule of faith? Can the church contradict Scripture? Can the church make something that's, up, that's not in Scripture? When I talk about rule of faith, that might be a, a, a term that we're not familiar with, but that's actually a technical term, rule of faith. It is a summary, the rule of faith was a summary of the apostolic doctrine preserved by the church, taught to the catechumens, like people are coming up in the faith. It's what we're taught. We're taught the rule of faith. It's gradually the rule of faith is codified in the canonical books. So what the, let me explain it this way. Uh, before there was a New Testament, Jesus came. Jesus taught the gospel. He orally taught the gospel. He taught it to 12 apostles, mostly, and, and empowered them. Go and spread this faith. They took what Jesus taught, and they spread it orally. Eventually, they began to codify this, to, to write it down. And so this is what all the New Testament is, is directly connected to the apostles, the rule of faith, Scripture in what it is. So the rule of faith is in Scripture, but they taught it as well. So Jesus taught the apostles, the apostles taught everyone else, and eventually the apostles wrote it down, and the church embraced this New Testament and the rule of faith. 
the argument that Luther and the reformers were having through the early church, throughout the medieval church, are these four points about the issue of authority. First of all, Scripture is the sole source of revelation. Scripture is the sole source of revelation. Number two, Scripture is the final authoritative norm of doctrine and practice. Authoritative norm. So we would say, uh, another way we would say doctrine and practice is uh, Westminster Confession of Faith says is the authoritative norm or rule or, or canon or measuring stick of everything in faith and life. So scripture is normative for us in everything in faith and life. The third thing is scripture is to be interpreted in and by the church. In and by the church. And the scripture was to be interpreted by the rule of faith. All right, so we have four things. All of those things combined is the doctrine of sola scriptura. Not just one of those things. All of them combined is the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is what was the formal cause of the Reformation. Now, today we're going to walk through this doctrine uh, of Scripture. It's going to be a little bit different sermon than my normal is. We're going to talk about what it's not and what it is. Uh, the issue is not Scripture versus tradition. The issue is Scripture and what concept of tradition do we hold? So, ironically, in this moment of Luther, right, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and many modern evangelical churches have departed from the doctrine of sola scriptura. They don't uphold this. They think they do, in part, but they don't uphold the doctrine of sola scriptura. You see, the, the Roman Catholic Church, the doctrine of Scripture, results in autonomy of the church, that the church has autonomy from the Scriptures. The modern evangelical doctrine of Scripture results in the autonomy of the individual. The individual gets to read and interpret what Scripture is the doctrine of sola scriptura in full, and what I just laid out, actually rests on the sovereignty of God. Not the church and not individuals. So I'm going to be using multiple texts today, not one text and applying it. I'm going to use multiple texts to kind of look at this doctrine on, the, on Reformation Sunday so we can have a better understanding. And we've just gone through a Sunday school class of how not to read the Bible, right? How actually to read the Bible better in a more holistic way. This kind of will help, this doctrine will help understand why we apply it in that principle. So number one, Scripture is the sole source of revelation. And so underneath that is the concept of the perfection of Scripture, the completeness of the revelation of God. Since Scripture is the sole, complete revelation of God, it contains all that we need to know about who God is and what He has done for us. It contains all we need to know about salvation, trusting God, obeying God, and everything else. So God is the one who reveals Himself, and He reveals how he saves people, and it contains everything we need to know. We don't need to know anything else besides what God reveals, and God reveals it in Scripture. Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says this way, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So here's the kind of point out. This is an Old Testament Scripture, 
And they're saying, look at the secret things. Some things God doesn't tell us. Some things he reveals to us. What he's revealed to them is the law, the Torah, the first five books of that in this, in, in this book he's saying. And he's revealed what God, who he is and his character. We know those things. We get to know them. It's been revealed to them. All the things necessary for us to obey the law has been revealed to us. Everything that's been to obey God and to know who he is has been revealed to us. Let's look a bit in the parable. Uh, Jesus talks about a parable in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man and Lazarus. So in this parable, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus is a, a poor beggar. They both die. Uh, and you see in this parable, the rich man is in the place of the dead, and he's looking up, and he sees Lazarus, the poor beggar, next to uh, Father Abraham uh, in the heights of heaven. And he begs God the Father, he begs God the Father to send messengers to his brothers, because he's in a miserable place, right? Uh, he's suffering in this place of the dead. He begs God the Father to send messengers to his brothers who are still alive and warn them, Warn them about what could happen to them. And this was what Abraham says. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced as someone should rise from the dead. Here's the point. Right, the, the Moses and the prophets, the law of prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying in this parable, listen, everything you need to know about God and salvation is there for you. There is no excuse. Everyone, you, everyone has what they need to know. They're not going to believe another messenger. If I send another one, come down. And, and then the irony is Jesus says, I'm here. I'm God himself, and I am going to rise from the dead, and they're still not going to believe in me. All they have, all that you have is necessary is in the scriptures, God's revelation to his people. 2 Timothy 3.15, the passage that we read this morning. And from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You have, you and I have scriptures. We have the scriptures, we have this Bible, and it is everything we need to be wise for salvation. What, what, how would we define wisdom? Wisdom is part knowledge, but it's actually putting knowledge into practice, living skillfully for God. So we have everything that we need to know and put into practice for salvation. It's been revealed in scripture. We do not need anything else. Scripture is the complete, perfect revelation of God. There's nothing else added to it. It's complete. Now, here's what I would say. God, does God speak in other ways? God speaks in other ways, but it never contradicts Scripture. So if someone says, hey, I have a word from God, like, okay, I'll listen to that, but how, how does it relate to Scripture? If it contradicts it, that's not a word from God, because God doesn't contradict himself. So there's the, the, in the sole source of revelation, there's the, the perfection of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is sufficient as the one source of divine revelation, one final, supreme, infallible norm of the church. 
the final authority is Scripture alone, but not a Scripture that is alone. So just like we might say justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. So James says a lot about this, right? So faith is not by itself. Faith is always coupled with works. By the very definition, works are faith actions. So faith is not alone. It's always coupled with something. But Scripture is, not, is the final authority, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's, then the, it's the only authority. Scripture is not given to us in a vacuum. It's given us in a context, and a place. It's given us in the context of the church, in the context of the apostolic uh, witness, the rule of faith. And here's what I would say. The Bible doesn't read itself. Right? The Bible doesn't interpret itself. The Bible doesn't preach itself. It needs human agency. Now, you and I can argue, God, about with this about his. Like, why would you involve humans in your revelation process? It's a good question to ask him one day. But this is how he's decided to do it, is to use humans to write down his revelation, and then actually use humans, you and I, to actually read it. Read it together, to interpret it, to understand it. Scripture still, it still means scripture is objective, and our interpretation needs to conform to its testimony, not scripture conform to our interpretation. Scripture is the final authority. You don't need anything else. It's complete perfection. But we recognize the context and nature of Scripture is utilized. So Scripture is the sole source of revelation. Scripture is the final authoritative norm. So norm, final attainable standard, rule, or canon, we could use as a word as that, of doctrine and practice, or faith in life. Of all of faith in life, of all doctrine and practice, Scripture is the, is the final authoritative norm, standard. Why? Because Scripture is God-breathed. It's his, it's his voice. It's His breath. Scripture is the final authority because it's God's Word. Scripture by itself is not authoritative unless it's God's word, and all of it is God spoken out. He breathes this out. We read it in this passage this morning, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, your translation, some might, might say, is inspired, but the word inspired actually means breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These are the very Words of God being communicated to us. Second Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy, what is a prophecy? It's a message of God. So normally when we, we might trigger with that word prophecy, we think of fortune telling. Or this is going to tell us our, our future. What prophecy simply means is a message from God. There is no message from God was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is talking about the Old Testament. There, there is no message from God in the Old Testament, which is the whole thing, that was carried out or decided by some will of men. No, no. It was God's breath. God, God spoke this out. It was his will. And 
the people that were inspired to write it down were carried along by his Holy Spirit to write it down. Scripture for us is normative, is the standard, and it is not negotiable. As, as followers of Christ, as, as people that know God, Scripture can never be negotiable in our life. It always has to be normative. That's why we did that six-week Bible study. We have to struggle with Scripture if we're going to follow Him, if you're going to know Him more, if you're going to grow in His character. You have to struggle with it. And it is a struggle at times. There are difficult parts in it. And listen, if you're reading Scripture and you find nothing difficult in it, like, I don't think you're reading it right. If, you, if, you're, fine, if you're conversing, like, like likewise, if you're conversing with God and you found this conversation was easy, like, you should be discomforted by that, that that was an easy conversation. No, it should be always a hard conversation with God because He's holy and you're not. He's bringing you to holiness. So, Scripture is the standard, the canon, and the norm, and we have to deal with it. Not, not as individuals but as the church. And I say the church, not just a singular church, but the church universal. When I refer to the church here in this sermon, it is the church universal. There's one church, there's one people of God, and it is, the, the scripture is given to the one people of God. So one way we can say, say this is that scripture is given as the canon, the norm. It's given to the church. What church does the measuring with the canon norm, and, but we, the measuring, the parameters of the measuring is through the rule of faith, that which has been passed down, oral testimony, the gospel. The gospel, which is clearly presented in Scripture. So Scripture is normative, not negotiable. Scripture is infallible. Infallible. Infallibility entails inerrancy, and here's what I would talk about that. Only Scripture is infallible because only God is infallible. No one else is infallible. And so when we use that word infallible and inerrancy, is infallible means the inability to not make an error. Inerrancy means there is no error. Well, you and, you and I can be in moments without error. So you could be inerrant in a moment. Some, some might say, not all, some might say my fantasy football ability is inerrant. Not everyone would say that, <laughs> right? But it's definitely fallible because I can make mistakes. It's just really rare in that regard. Did you see the point? The point is that so the absurdity is that we, we do make errors all the time. God cannot. What God is infallible and therefore everything he does is inerrant. Scripture is infallible because God is infallible. Our scripture is infallible because God is infallible, and fallible traditions, people, church, leaders, all must be measured by the infallible scripture, by the infallible God. We don't measure, like scripture is not compared to us, we are compared to it. The Roman Catholic Church added additional doctrine of infallibility and they added it to the church. More so, they actually add papal infallibility. So at certain times, and here's the thing with papal infallibility with the, in the Roman Catholic Church, is that they have a doctrine. It is widely disputed when the Pope is infallible and when he's not. 
And it's widely, and it's like, well, then they've narrowed it down to the doctrine. It's one he speaks from the chair of Peter. But then they actually, no one can actually officially decide which things he actually has spoken from the chair of Peter or not. So we do not know when he is actually spoken from the chair or when he's not. And that's the only time when he's infallible. But therefore, we're just going to take everything he says as the word of God. That's essentially what the doctrine of papal infallibility has become. Now, here's what I would say, is that the Roman Catholic Church doesn't claim the Pope is totally infallible, right? They have a doctrine to it. But a standard or a norm that, that is not always infallible is never infallible. That's just by definition of what infallibility is. If it is not always infallible, it is never infallible. Only Scripture is infallible because only God is perfect. Scripture is our authority. The simple fact here should be is that we humans are not God. Therefore, we don't have the same authority as that God has authority. There's a unique, a unique authority that uh, Scripture is self-evident authoritative in life to any confessing follower of Christ. And, and part of it, this is a little bit circular, Part is, is because the only way we recognize it is authoritative, that it's God's word, is that God gives us his Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can actually recognize it. We can, actually recognize, we can recognize what it's saying, we can recognize some truth about it, we can recognize the beauty about it, but we can only recognize it as infallible and the word of God when God gives us the spirit to recognize it. But it is the height of arrogance if we are followers of Christ and it's idolatry, for any church and person to claim to have equal authority to Scripture. Because then you're claiming to have equal authority to God. John 1, 29, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Baptist. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, because John declares Jesus as the Lamb of God, does that make John authoritative over Jesus? No. But in some ways, some might think that. Because here's the thing, recognizing authority does not necessarily confer authority. Recognizing authority is just that, recognizing it. Like that thing, that person is more authority than I. John the Baptist recognizes the authority of Jesus, but does not confer that authority upon him. Likewise, we, when we say, hey, the Bible is authoritative, it's not because it, we declare it authoritative. If no one on this earth declared the Bible authoritative, guess what? It still would be authoritative because it's still God's word. It's because God is still authoritative. We recognize Scripture's authority. We observe it. We don't give it authority. Likewise, when we say God is sovereign, we recognize that he's sovereign. We don't give him sovereignty. If we don't worship him or don't think he's sovereign, guess what? God is still sovereign in this world. Scripture is, the, is not just it, the norm, it is the supreme normative in our life. Scripture is breathed out by God. It is infallible. It is authoritative. It is normative. It is the standard the writings of the church fathers are not God breathed out. 
The canons and the creeds are not God-breathed out. The church does not speak with God's voice or with inherent self-authority. Scripture does and is authoritative. It speaks for itself as authority, and it is authoritative. Therefore, the church, all the people, submit and conform to it, because we all conform to God. This is not negotiable. All right, so Scripture is right, the sole source of revelation. Scripture is the alone, is normative, authoritative, and Scripture is to be interpreted in and by the church. Now, this is the one that gets us a little bit confused. So, because Scripture is authoritative, it doesn't mean it's the only authority. Scripture, because Scripture is the sole infallible, infallible, infallible authority, infallible authority does not mean it, it rule out secondary authorities. There could be secondary authorities or submissive authorities to that. The church universal is a subordinate authority to Scripture. The church is a subordinate authority to Scripture. The church is fallible. The promises of God go to a covenant community, to a church. It doesn't go to individuals. This is really important to understand. The covenant of God, Scripture is given to the church, not to individuals. Ephesians 3.10 says it this way, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It is the church in which God gives his collective wisdom, his voice to the people of God. And one of the reasons is that is because salvation is not an individualistic thing. In our culture, in our world, we make it individualistic, but God doesn't give it to individuals. The Reformed Confession was this. Uh, this is the, the well, I'll, I'll just speak in English. I won't be speaking in Latin because I don't. There is no salvation outside the church. There is no salvation outside the church. So you cannot be saved and not be a part of the body of Christ. You can't be saved and say, I'm not going to church or I only worship God in creation. That's not how it works. That's not how you grow in Christ. That's not, you don't get to just take your Bible and go on a journey and I'm, it's just me and God and my Bible. That's not how salvation works. It's not how Scripture talks about salvation. It's not how God gives salvation. It's not how God gives this book. The fallibility of the church does not render authority invalid or just subordinate, but it is just subordinate because the church does err. And when the church does err, and when it makes mistakes, when it makes mistakes on doctrine, it's the responsibility of the whole church to correct the church. Just what like Martin Luther tried to do. He sat there, he observed like, wait a second, this doesn't seem right. And it wasn't just like he had a moment and it didn't seem right. He took long moments of struggling with this and then decided he needed to say something. He needed to have a conversation. He needed, now that's actually a nice way of putting it. Luther was pretty hostile in the way he talked about these things. But he was going like, we need to reform. We need to get back to what God is saying. And so when this individual church goes awry, it's your responsibility as a church 
to hold us accountable to Scripture. When this church grows right, it's the responsibility of churches in our presbytery to hold us accountable to Scripture. The person that, uh, we, we, we also get this refrain from the Reform- Reformation is the church is always reformed and always reforming to the Word of God. Always reformed and always reforming to the Word of God. So the Word of God is continually, it's like you know, that sharp-edged sword in, in Hebrews, right? It's continually carving us up and making us refined and more correct. The person that rejects the authority of the church rejects the authority of the one who sent her. Luke 10, 16. The one who hears you hears me. This is Jesus talking to the apostles. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now this is the context of Jesus sent his apostles. He sent them out into neighboring communities and says, preach the gospel of peace. Go tell them. Because the ones that reject this message are rejecting me. This is why, this is the importance of church membership. Church membership isn't just to say, hey, I belong to a club. Church membership is saying, is a outward visible declaration that I belong to Christ and I belong to his body, the church. And the responsibility of the church together is that we conform each other through Scripture to God. That we, we make each other mature. That we hold each other accountable. Whether you're an elder or just a member, we all do this together. There is mutual accountability, discipline in membership. This is why we join the one universal church. If you come a part of this church, you're not just part of this church. You're part of the one universal church of God. But yet, we can still read the Bible by ourselves. You're okay if you can read the Bible by yourselves. I actually, you ought to. You ought to spend time in Scripture by yourself, reading and studying it. Right? It is your responsibility to be obedient and faithful to Christ. We have this concept in the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers, meaning that anyone and everyone can have a basic understanding of what Scripture says, that everyone has access to the Scriptures, and that there is a clarity in Scripture about who God is and what salvation is. It is crystal clear. And so you and I can read that and still understand it. It's still we need the collective work together to come together and discern it, but you and I can still do that together. We do not study Scripture in isolation. We can do it by ourselves for a moment, but we do not study isolation. That is not sola scriptura. That is solo scriptura, which we'll get to later. We are given the scriptures to study as the church, to interpret it by the church, because the rule of faith has been given to the church and has been passed down, that oral tradition, which gets us to the fourth point, right? Scripture is the sole revelation of God. Scripture is the normative, is normative in our life, right? Is the final authoritative norm in our life. Scripture is to be interpreted by the church, and Scripture is to be interpreted by the rule of faith. So, the, the rule of faith is the, is the subordinate doctrine authority of the church. The subordinate doctrine of the church is connected to the rule of faith. So the, the church doesn't have any authority unless it's connected to the rule of faith. 
The way the church interprets Scripture is by the rule of faith, which is eventually codified in Scripture, which I talked about. And I know this is a little bit circular. It's that Scripture has the rule of faith, it's codified in it, and yet it interprets it by the rule of faith. So uh, I, want, I want us to think of, of when we talk about uh, tradition, well, I want you to think of rule of faith as tradition that has authority in our lives. The early church recognized heretics by the rule of faith. Like, so so here, here's what's going on. So that, right, I told you there's a, this oral faith that's being passed down. All the scripture hasn't been written out yet, or it's not been compiled all together. And so they're teaching what the apostle, what Jesus taught, what the apostles taught. And so you can see it right in the New Testament. Paul goes to the community, he preaches the gospel, and then he writes a second letter to the community because the first letter, because they've messed up. They've distorted the gospel. And he says, no, no, you misunderstood. Let me correct it. And so that's the rule of faith. It keeps teaching that same gospel over and over again. So an oral tradition given to the apostles, eventually they pass down. So here's what happens, right? This is a positive faith, this rule of faith. So it's this tradition. It's being spread. And then the apostles eventually codify it. But before they're being spread, even before they codify it, right, there's heretics that come up teaching things that are false or teaching other doctrines that are not or contra- contradictory to what the faith has been taught, to grace. And so the church would come together and say, hey, or the, early on, it was the, they bring it to the apostles, like, that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not been what's taught to us. And so they would cast them out heretics. And so that rule of faith would go, when we have the Nicene Creed, that is the utilization of Scripture and the rule of faith to weed out false doctrine, in which people are saying, hey, no, this is what Scripture is saying, or this is what faith is saying. Particularly in the Nicene Creed, uh, they were talking about how does, um, they were talking about the Trinity, what is triune, and, and, and the, the definition of man, which eventually goes into, is Jesus fully God and fully man? Is he fully from the Father, or is he separate from the Father? So it's a Trinitarian thing. And so they're saying, no, no, this has been passed down. This is what's been given to us. And this is what actually Scripture says clearly as well. Are we following that? I know it's a little bit kind of seems murky, but it actually the, the, the early church fathers were pretty clear. And they, they come together pretty clear on this as they talk about it. And they weed out heretics pretty quickly. And then they have this actual doctrine of this word of God to actually that's codified the rule of faith. But you and I can still have the Scripture and not necessarily know the rule of faith. People can actually read Scripture and actually not understand the Trinity in Scripture unless the rule of faith is taught. So all this is the saying is that the doctrine of sola scriptura is saying, hey, there is a rule of faith that has been taught, and this is what Martin Luther was saying, is that the church was defying the rule of faith and interpreting Scripture against the rule of faith, against what the church has always taught, has always fought against, has always codified not just in Scripture, but it put in creeds and councils, the Nicene, the Apostles, the Treaty of Chalcedon, even eventually the Westminster Confession. All these things are talking about essentials of faith, the rule of faith. That is what Scripture is talking about. Those things, those creeds and doctrines are not infallible, right? Those are things that are written down to point out what the rule of faith is. It has to be in Scripture. 
They're saying this is how Scripture is be interpreted. That's the doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture must be confessed as the sole source of revelation. Scripture is the final authoritative norm in our life, standard. Scripture is to be interpreted in and by the church, not by individuals. And Scripture is only to be interpreted by the rule of faith that has been passed down from the very beginning. It's important to get this right. You see, the Roman Catholic Church, they have elevated a subordinate authority to equal authority to church. They have equal the Pope equal to scriptures. And they devalue and they ignore the sovereignty of God when they do that because they bring up a fallible person against the infallible God. And then you begin to see how their doctrine ebbs and flays and, and changes all the time because God's changing his mind or the Pope is changing his mind in their viewpoint. But here's the thing. It doesn't just, this is not just a, a pointer on the Catholic Church. In the modern evangelical church has twisted the doctrine to solo scriptura. And maybe you understand this sola scriptura as this way. The Bible says it. That settles it. I believe it. You ever heard anyone said take that argument? So it's, it's a sense like, hey, all it's just me, the Bible, and that's it. That's all you ever need. I don't need some historic faith. I don't need the church to interpret. That, the reformers would have been upset. They would be reforming it right now. Like that is not the doctrine they were arguing for. That is not sola scriptura. That is solo scriptura, which is why in the modern evangelical church, you can have doctrines that are all over the place and contradictory. It's why you can have individual church says, we get to define what the doctrine is and that's it. There's no one that has authority over us. Instead of understanding it's scripture that has the authority, there is this universal faith that's been passed down and the scripture has been given to the church universal in which we have spoken about the rule of faith clearly in our creeds, in our councils. When, when churches do this, when, when, when we, we become independent from each other, we become isolated. And here's the thing, when we do that, we repeat historical heresies over and over again, and we reject accountability in our life. And that really defines modern American church. Remember, Luther was a scholar and a professor of the New Testament. And upon his plain reading of Scripture, he saw the rule of faith. And he also knew the creeds and the councils and all the tradition of the rule of faith. And he saw that the church interpretation was, be, the, your church's universal interpretation, historic interpretation was being ignored and flatly distorted. Luther didn't break away. He asked for conversation. He asked for debate. He was holding the church accountable. Four years after him nailing 95 theses, four years of actually being on the run from a church persecuting him, in 1521, the church excommunicated him, kicked him out for his, what they called, heresies. At his trial at the Diet of Worms, they asked him to recant, and this is what he said, I am bound by scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Let's just take this a step further in understanding what Luther is saying. Is that Luther is saying, like, 
as the church, as a follower of Christ, I am bound by the authority of Scripture because I am bound by God. These are God's words. Only these are God's words. Popes or other people, that are not God's words if it is contrary to Scripture. If the church speaks contrary to Scripture, that is not God's words. I am bound only to God's voice. It is the sole source of revelation. It is the only thing that has the final and authoritative norm in our life because it's God's words. And we need to be in a community together because God gives it to his community, his church, historic and local to interpret. And he gives us a rule of faith that has been passed down, a gospel that has been passed down. In our denomination, we actually have these things called the essentials of faith, which would be a way of, you can say, that's the rule of faith simplified, who God is, what salvation is. We also have the Westminster Confession, which gets a little bit more detailed. But the essentials of faith, those are things that there is no negotiation about, because that is the rule of faith. All of those four things, that is the doctrine of sola scriptura. That's what it means to be scripture alone. And what's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of bending our will to the authority of God, to the authority of scripture? We read it today. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. The purpose isn't just to submit for submission's sake. God has a plan and purpose in your life. And it's not just not to submit, it's actually to transform you to righteousness, to transform you into his character. He gives us his word, he reveals himself to us so that we can be transformed into his character. We can be transformed from death to life. Life forever. This is the purpose. This is why there is a doctrine of sola scriptura. This is why there is a faith. This is why God reveals himself. So that we can be more like him. And one day, one day, Colossians 1.28, right, we will present each other more mature in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly God, I give you thanks that you are a God that not hides, that does not keep secret, but that you reveal, that you speak, and you have spoken. Lord, I ask you to send your spirit upon all of us so that we can recognize who you are and can recognize your authority and your scriptures, to recognize your rule of faith that has been taught throughout history, throughout the history of your church. Lord, let us be a church and a people that submit to this doctrine of Scripture, this sola scriptura, that do not lone rangers in this walk, but are members of the body of Christ together, presenting each other, mature in Christ, by submitting to the full authority of who you are and your Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.